Well, I promised two minutes, and I was right, more or less, right? So good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Bar Association tonight. We're so honored to have with us tonight the First Lady of the great city of New York, Shirlene McRae. As you know, because you're here for the very reason, she's going to be discussing the mental health issues facing the people of the city of New York. Tonight's program is sponsored by the association's New York City Affairs Committee. My name is Jerry Goldfeder, and I am privileged to serve as its chair, and I welcome the members of the committee here tonight. The program is also sponsored by a variety of other committees, and you'll permit me to take a moment to introduce those committees. The Mental Health Law Committee, whose chair is Naomi Weinstein. Is Naomi here? There you go, thank you so much for being here. The Health Law Committee, whose chair is Kathleen Burke. Hello, Kathleen, thank you. Bioethical Issues Committee, whose chair is Mary Beth Morrissey. I thank the committee members for being here. The Disability Law Committee, whose chair is John Egan. The Lawyers Assistance Program Committee, whose chair is Judge Linda Paust Lopez. And the Mindfulness and Wellbeing in Law Committee, whose chairs are Cecilia Loving, Robert Chender, and Bjorn, Bjorn Sorensen. Thank you. Thank you all very much. I want to thank the chairs and the members of all those committees and everyone else in the Bar Association and the public who are here tonight. I'll, I'll mention that the First Lady will speak for a few moments and then we'll have plenty of time for a robust question and answer period. I think it's safe to say that we have never had in the lifetime of our city a First Lady like Shirlane McRae. She, absolutely, <laughs> she, she works tirelessly on a variety of substantive issues and that is new in the city of New York and we are grateful for it. She has redefined the role of First Lady, managing a robust portfolio to advance an ambitious agenda in support of all New Yorkers. As the chair of the Mayor's Fund to Advance New York City, Ms. McRae has played a pivotal role in the administration's unstinting efforts to make this a more equitable city, where all communities and all people in this city have the ability and the resources to succeed. She's also the co-chair of the city's Commission on Gender Equity. And along with the New York City Police Chief, she leads the city's Domestic Violence Task Force. As a result of her leadership, New York City has become the very first city in this entire nation to join the United Nations Women's Safe Cities Global Initiative. And of course, her great interest lies in mental health issues, and that prompted her to launch Thrive New York City, a plan to address mental health and substance abuse issues recognized as the most comprehensive mental health plan of any city or state in the nation, and of course the subject of tonight's presentation. Shirlene McRae is a graduate of Wellesley College, and has received an honorary Doctor of Science degree from the City University Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy. 
It's really a great privilege to have Shirlane McRae here with us tonight and for me to be able to introduce her. Please give her a warm welcome. Good evening, everyone. How are you feeling? I know you have a mindfulness and wellness committee. I'm very impressed by that. That should help, right? <laughs> Thank you, Jerry, so much for inviting me here tonight. All of you for inviting me here tonight, being here to discuss what is an issue that is like way too underappreciated and not paid enough attention to. But before I begin, I want to ask all of you a question. How many of you have been affected by mental illness or substance abuse directly or because of someone who's close to you, your family member or friend? Please raise your hand. All the hands go up. Is there anyone whose hand is not up? I don't, I don't think so. I don't see so. When, when, I, when I do see a hand that's not up, though, I always say, well, it's probably because you don't know your friends or your family as well as you think you do, which is true because you know, I ask that question nearly everywhere I go, and, and usually all the hands go up, but uh, we know what the statistics are. One in five, one in five adults, one in five children are affected uh, in any given year by mental illness or substance misuse. And the other four in five are family members, and how can we not be affected if someone in our family is suffering or if a friend is going through something? We're all affected by that. So. When people are, are suffering and they don't get the care and the support they need, we, we, we suffer the consequences as well. And untreated mental illness and substance misuse affects our relationships with other, other people, our productivity at work, and our ability to set and achieve goals. The cost to our economy is in the billions, and that's just New York City. Uh, the loss of opportunity, productivity, and learning affects our schools, our housing, uh, justice, our, our criminal justice system. Without proper attention and care, how can children who have been exposed to trauma learn successfully in school? How can we end homelessness without also connecting people earlier to the care they need? How can people recover from addiction if they're sent to jail instead of a treatment program? Untreated mental illness is at the root of so many of our deep-seated challenges facing our city and country. And we simply cannot achieve the kind of progress we want to see without changing the way we think about mental health and transforming how our city delivers behavioral health services. And that's why we created Thrive NYC, our city's comprehensive mental health plan. People struggling with mental health challenges face significant barriers, like stigma, which is the mother of them all. Stigma keeps so many people from reaching out for treatment. Lack of access to care. I, I love the statistic I heard a while ago that in Manhattan, there's one psychiatrist for every 1,300 residents, but in the Bronx, there's one psychiatrist for every 13,000 residents. Just to give you a sense of the, the real disparities in, in care that we have. And the average wait time between when symptoms emerge, mental health symptoms, mental illness symptoms, and people actually go seek treatment the average wait time is 10 years. Now, can you imagine waiting 10 years to get help if you had a heart condition or diabetes or any chronic illness? I, 10 years, um, a lot of damage is done in 10 years. And 
Certainly in the case of those with mental illness, the damage is not necessarily physical, although that's one part of it, but the, 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 the consequences are in the damage done to relationships and um, productivity and, and, and perhaps a loss of education. So with Thrive, we're working to overcome those barriers by reaching people where they are and make sure they have services where they are. We know that people aren't, don't want to like go over there, right? To go way over there to another borough, another community and get help um, because of stigma, because maybe they don't want to travel outside their neighborhood. So we got to make sure we're getting services to where people are. So with Thrive, uh, for example, we're embedding clinicians and social workers into primary care clinics in underserved communities. So more people can address their physical and their mental health in one close to home visit. We also know that half of all mental health conditions begin before the age of 14. 50% of the time the symptoms emerge before the age of 15. So that means we have to act earlier. We have to pay much more attention to our young people. 75% of the time, uh, the symptoms are emerging by the age of 24. So our, our youngest young people and our oldest young people, that's where we need to pay more attention than, than what we are currently doing. So with Thrive, children in our pre-K programs are learning social and emotional skills that will help them cope with stress and adversity throughout their lives. And we have increased mental health support at all of our schools with a focus on prevention and early intervention so schools can better meet the needs of students and their families. We know that no matter what life, you know, whatever life people are going to have, there are going to be obstacles, right? There's going to be challenges and turmoil and tumult. But we can actually build resilience into our children, um, teach them the skills that they need to be able to identify their emotions and know how to navigate them. We know how to do this. Um, so, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it, um, given all that we know now. And our family shelters, residents are paired with case managers charged with addressing trauma and behavioral health needs. And New Yorkers who have been victims of a crime are connected to advocates to help them navigate our complex justice system and reduce the risk of, last, of lasting trauma. Now, we know that when a crime is committed, so much of the attention is on the perpetrator. But what about the victims? What are they getting to help them you know, through a life that can be transformed? We are making sure that there, there is an advocate in every precinct um, by the end of this summer. Every precinct will have a domestic violence advocate and a crime victim advocate. Thrive is only a couple of years old. Uh, we launched November 15, 20, November 29, 2015. Uh, but I'm proud of what we've accomplished in this short time. It, but it's only a beginning, and we're very well aware of that. We're working toward a full-scale system change, and that does not happen overnight. And government cannot lead this transformation alone. With no community in our city left untouched, we must all step up to be part of the solution. And we can begin by talking honestly about mental health, openly and honestly about what, how we're doing now and what we're doing. When I, when I was a child, uh, both of my parents struggled with depression. But of course, I didn't have the language or the understanding to be able to, to actually pinpoint that or know what to do about it. And I now currently suffer from anxiety. Mild, but anxiety nonetheless. And throughout my life, I've seen so many people struggling with 
addiction, depression, alcoholism, bipolar disorder, and other challenges that, that they've tried to keep hidden. Now, I share my story because, and I encourage others to share their stories as well, because if we tell our stories, it helps other people feel more, more comfortable. It makes, the, it makes it easier for them to tell their story, and that's how we get rid of the shame and the stigma that goes along, uh, goes along with talking about mental illness and substance misuse. It's a really heavy burden to walk around knowing that you've got this thing, you know, or, and you can't talk about it freely. I mean, we want people to know that it is so common. It is so treatable. Um, people should feel no less uh, anxiety talking about it than they do about, you know, talking about their, um, the flu that they had last week or their asthma or, or their diabetes around the water cooler. Like, people feel very comfortable sharing that information, but it's so difficult to share other kinds of information. So to break through the cloud of stigma and shame that prevents people from seeking help, we've got to challenge these harmful misconceptions that, that people suffering with mental health or substance use disorders are, are weak or dangerous or just don't have a lack of, or have a lack of discipline. Those are the misconceptions that people have. And I hope all of you will leave today thinking about what you can do to dismantle the stigma in your own families, your networks, and workplaces, because we, we need you. We need you to be um, mental health care ambassadors. We've never had a mental health system in our country. We've had services, but, but not a true system. The way we treat people in this country, it, it seems as though our, our jails and our prisons are, are one of the largest provider of mental health services. This is unacceptable. This cannot stand. But it's up to us to bring about change. When people living with mental illness come in contact with the justice system, chances are they have already been failed many, many times. And too many of the people who work with them, from police officers to lawyers and judges to corrections officers, don't have proper understanding of trauma, of mental illness, of addiction. And it's because it just hasn't been part of their training. It's not their fault. They just have never been taught. And not a one of us has grown up with the understanding or the language or vocabulary to use around mental illness. We don't, there's no distinction between um, all the mental illnesses and, and what, what to do if you see someone suffering. We know what to do if someone's bleeding, right? We know what to do if somebody's choking. We know about CPR, but we don't know what to do if someone has a panic attack or if someone's suffering from depression. And we need to change that. And we've begun this work through Thrive. The NYPD, our wonderful NYPD, they take nearly 400 mental illness-related calls every single day. 400, can you imagine? They've already trained thousands of officers to de-escalate mental health-related crises and divert people in need to treatment instead of jail. And the Department of Corrections is training their staff to be better versed in mental health. But all of you can do your part as well, and, and we have tools to help you. So, homework. <laughs> you all like to do homework, right? I would love for you to please sign up to take mental health first aid. It's free. It's free. <laughs> it teaches the basic understanding of the most common mental health challenges that people have to deal with and offers, offers, 
offers the techniques and the tools that people need to follow up and help people in need. And you can think of it as a CPR training, but for emotional behavior. Any one of you can sign up, any New Yorker can sign up at nyc.gov slash MHFA to take the course. That's nyc.gov slash MHFA. I took the course three years ago and then did a follow-up, and I found it transforming. I, in fact, it actually led to us wanting to, to uh, train a quarter of a million New Yorkers in mental health first aid to help us change the culture. As I said, because so many, nobody really grows up understanding this, we have a great need to educate people so that they understand their friends and family better, so that they can help treat others more compassionately um, and constructively. Now, if you want more people in your office or at your firm to have the chance to take mental health first aid, you can also host a training. You can think of it as your pro bono activity for the month. Those of you interested in learning more about what you can do can also visit the Thrive Learning Center. This is an online resource hub that there's, that's there for anyone looking for more information and tools to be a helper and a healer. All you have to do is go to the Thrive website at nyc.gov slash thriveNYC and click on the resources tab. And that is free too. For those of you who are part of the faith community, you can participate in our third annual Weekend of Faith for Mental Health, which is coming up on May 17th to 20th. Hundreds, should say thousands of houses of worship will devote their, their services to addressing the stigma around mental illness and addiction, and we want your community to be part of it. The first year we did this, we had 1,000 houses of worship participating. The second year, we had 2,000 houses of worship participate in, in 40 other cities. So this year, we want to do even more because we want to reach more people. The more people we reach, the less suffering there will be and the more understanding about how we can help our friends and family. So I brought a flyer with me today that has information about how you can get involved. It, uh, Claudia over there is passing it around now. This is for synagogues, temples, mosques, uh, even community groups. If you, just, if you have a group that likes to gather and, and talk about different issues, you can be part of this. We give you a toolkit, talking points, and of course we have the online learning center so you can learn more. And we want you to be a part of that, give us ideas as to more modules that we can include. Uh, in the learning center so that, that we're always building our, our knowledge base. And finally, as I said, we want to hear from you. Every one of you sees the challenges that we have in New York City from, from a different perspective, from a different angle, and we need your insight and expertise. For example, right now we're working on a new effort with the private sector to promote mental wellness in the workplace, and we need as many partners as possible to join Businesses Thrive. Mental health at work is often an afterthought, especially for people who work such busy jobs. I know that you know what I'm talking about. We want to make mental wellness a priority. And if you're interested or if you have thoughts to share or questions to ask, please take down this email address. It's thrivenyc at cityhall.nyc.gov. That's thrivenyc at cityhall.nyc.gov. .nyc.gov. And when you reach out, someone on my team will get back to you and connect you to the right people. 
Again, I want to thank you all for taking time out of your busy schedules to be here, and I'm really excited to hear your questions. Thank you. Well, the, the very first time I heard the first lady speaking about this was at uh, Gracie Mansion, and I was really inspired, and I thought it would be really uh, excellent and useful, useful to have, uh, have Charlene here today in giving us ideas of how we can transform our workplace and to find out what else we can do in the city. So w we have time for questions, and um, I, I want to begin with uh, Naomi. Yes. You know what? We do have a microphone, and thank you so much. It just needs to be pressed. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So my name is Naomi Weinstein. I'm the chair of the Mental Health Law Committee. Um, I work for Mental Hygiene Legal Service, which is part of the court system. We represent um, psychiatric patients in hospitals. I know our committee is interested in, um, we have a lot of people who work in nonprofit and who come across people with mental health issues. And I think in general, you know, we want to know as lawyers, how can we better connect our clients to the wonderful programs that thrive? offers. Mm -hmm. um, so that was our main question. Well, we have a, a, a number, 1-888-NYC-WELL, which many providers are using now to connect people to services. Uh, that's 1-888-NYC-WELL. Uh, there are a team, there's a team of trained counselors and they are actually the hub of Thrive because they have access to all the different programs throughout our city and are excellent at connecting people to uh, whatever is appropriate for them. So please feel free to use it. It's, it's free. <laughs> yes. My name is David Condliff. I chair the subcommittee, Rikers Subcommittee of the City Bars Correction Committee. Um, in the Dinkins administration, I had the privilege of leading the mayor's office of drug abuse and was very frustrated to see some of the initiatives we started reversed by Giuliani. Mm. My question is, is anyone doing a process and outcome evaluation of Thrive NYC so we can actually document for other jurisdictions and for the future administrations the enormous progress you've made? Excellent question. Uh, we, have a, we have a few uh, processes underway. We've got, four, we have, uh, right now we have roughly 54 programs in Thrive, and we have 400 metrics that we're using to evaluate the, the programs. But in addition to that, we have, um, goodness, what do we have? We have the Mayor's Office of Opportunity has a whole uh, separate evaluation and, and uh, analytics that they're using to measure. And then we have a partnership with the Center for Mental Health Innovation, which is a partnership with CUNY um, that is also uh, working on you know, figuring out how we, um, how we use these measures to be able to share with other people because it's, as you said, it's, it's what's, what's the point of having it if we can't share, the, share it, share what went really well and, and um, and share it with, with accuracy. Thrive is really young, two years. I think that by November, 
that I actually have I've challenged my team to make sure that we have really good data by then. We have lots of data now, but it's, I think it's not in the form that is as, as useful for people as it will be by November. But I can assure you that we've got a lot of people looking at it from different angles and that it is our goal to make sure that, um, that we can say these are, are evidence-based practices, these are good measures, these, pro these programs can be duplicated. Yes. You're the unofficial uh, microphone person. Thank you, Cecilia. Thank you so much, um, First Lady. I appreciate the work that you do, particularly with respect to the reduction of stigma around mental health and uh, recovery. I'm, my name is Kathleen Waterman. I'm the former chair of the Lawyers Assistance Program for the last couple of years, and I have recovery in my own life and in people that are very, very close to me, so I do appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I, uh, so I heard a lot of really good things about social workers and resources at points of contact, such as uh, police... Uh, stations and perhaps in the judicial system. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear, and I hope, and I, I hope maybe I missed it, in family court. For two years, I worked as an attorney for, for the child in Brooklyn Family Court. And I question whether or not our family court system is sufficient to deal with our most personal relationships. But I also saw a lot of uh, mental health issues and, and, and substance abuse, et cetera, um, there. And then the trauma of the kids going through some pretty, pretty hairy custody and visitation measures. So I'm just wondering, is there a plan to, to put these resources in family court? If not, can you do it, please? <laughs> um, and, and obviously, uh, and the, the website and the, the phone number I've written down, I'm going to reach out to my friends that still work in the family court and give them that information. But that was my question. I cannot speak to family court at this point. I cannot speak to family court. Alana, this is something we have not worked on to date. Do you have something to add to that? I will say mm Yeah, Alana, just my senior policy advisor, said for those of you who could not hear is that we do have family justice centers with clinicians who provide, um, and the family justice centers are in every borough right there with the DA's office. So, and they have, there is a clinician in each one of those justice centers with uh, an umbrella of services for, um, for anyone who walks in. So there is that, uh, and we do have, uh, counseling provided in all of our shelters. It's not, doesn't really directly speak to the question you asked. Um, I don't have a good enough understanding of um, who governs, uh, you know, whether there's a, the state, right? It's, yeah, it's a state issue. So it is something that I've wanted to engage in, but it's not on our jurisdiction, so it's kind of hard, hard for us to get involved, you know what I mean? But it's something that I really would love to talk with you about more offline. 
to see what we could do, make sure that there's no other gaps. That's great. And thank you, Alana, as well. Good team. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, we need the mic. Well, I'm here. I mean, oh, I'm I, sorry. I the she, mic. She, was, she was first. Go, go right ahead. Yeah, I probably identify myself as the expert in suffering in mental health crisis. I basically been caring for my sister since my first sister. We arrived here in 1974, and my first sister became mentally ill immediately afterwards. Mm. And I was perhaps 15, and I'm 58, and I have several members of my family who collapse, uh, basically su su uh, are suffering with different kind of mental health issues. My biggest concern, I've raised these issues a million times to every places that I go conferences. The family who are basically caring, dealing with these issues, have almost zero help in the society. That's right. Financially, emotionally, and right now, right now, people more or less, family members will more or less accept the situation. In, 1970, in 1978, 1979, people basically were running away from the problem. I remember my parents said, don't discuss it, don't discuss it. You're gonna ruin your life. And I really think what happened to my younger sisters, and like even a doctor, someone with a medical degree succumbed to the situation, is the lack of support, emotional, moral support that are giving. And that lead me to the second, the other comments that I'm going to make is basically they turned, the burden is not on the patients to make mental, to fight stigma. It's the public education that needs, it's the public that needs to accept it. Perhaps if they accept people, whether it's me or somebody, which I don't accept I'm mentally ill, are just in disagreement with the government policies on many issues, whether it's HIV or mental, mental illness. Uh, that's what needs to be done. Because I felt my parents really, we, didn't, we don't have help whatsoever. Most importantly, while we do not have help from anybody, and we are being abused morally, physically, financially, and nobody seems to care. Well, I think those observations are very useful, and we really appreciate your sharing. Sherlyn, uh, do you want to uh, comment? Yeah. No, I'm so sorry um, that you had to go through such a painful, painful um, time and, and, and I, I'm, I'm sorry that I actually you know have he heard this from many others the you know we've, we've um, even now there's you know too often a, a shunning of, of, of family members who are, are experiencing something that that folks can't explain and you know I heard a story and this was only uh, it's only like three weeks ago I heard a story uh, from a, a woman who said that her family would put her aunt in, in the bedroom and lock the door when she was going through an episode because they didn't really know what else to do. Um, and I'm sure it's, that's not a single story that there are people who, you know, whether it's the attic or the basement or a bedroom, um, and keeping it hidden, um, carrying the burden, carrying that weight of providing for someone, uh, it, it, it takes a toll on the family, it really does. And it, it really sh it should not be. This is part of the human condition. Now, when I say one in five, you know, that's, that's just what we know. It, the number is probably higher. And there's so many people who suffer and could be better though, could be better. Remember, this is treatable, but because they don't get the treatment they need, the disease tends to get worse as any disease would. and and then it is harder to treat. Not untreatable, but harder. And we have to do better. 
And that is why with Thrive, we, we, we do have uh, signage around the city. We have testimonials from people who have uh, actually uh, gone through something, whether it is uh, depression or they've suffered from addiction or whatever is it, telling their story. Um, we have these stories in bus shelters, in the subway, and we're going to do more. We're going to continue doing this. We need people to see that these are people just like you, just like me, um, who've gone through something, They, but they're they're, they're working, they're fine, they have healthy relationships, uh, they just needed to get appropriate treatment. Um, we've never had a mental health system in this country. You know, we've had services, but we've never had, uh, we've never had a real coordinated system, and that is what we're trying to grow right now in New York City. If I may uh, ask a question, um, prerogative of the chair. Uh, you, Lawyers are um, a breed apart, and some of us are work in firms, small firms, big firms, some of us work in government agencies, and so on. Um, I, I think that if I went to the people who run my firm, just as an example, just as a hypothetical, um, I think that the response would not be a positive one. We want to set up some wellness program. We want to have um, a mental health uh, CPR uh, type program. I think people would look askance at a lawyer who is not really focused on being a lawyer. And it would be difficult to, to change that kind of uh, set of attitudes. Um, maybe you have some experience with uh, trying to get law firms to do this. Uh, maybe you have experience with getting businesses who might have very similar reactions to do this. H how, do, how do we deal with that so that we can actually make it work? Mm -hmm. well, I think it is about, a, it's a process of education because uh, businesses, you'd be surprised how many businesses have embraced um, this idea mm. already because they know that uh, they lose a lot of money, <laughs> those who are, uh, and, and those that, that are not in the business for profit, they lose a lot of um, they lose a lot of time and energy yeah. to dealing with these types of problems. So the Business Thrive Coalition is growing because there are best practices out there that that should be shared. Um, it's not everyone doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. Though mm -hmm. I think it can be demonstrated that it's a win-win. It's a win for the individual. It's a win for the business. You cannot separate a person's performance from the health of their mind. You just can't. Um, people burn out. People have um, the, the, the trauma of maybe losing family members or whatever it is. Life happens to people. And if they do not have proper support, then it is really hard to go to work and, and focus on being a lawyer, right? That is it's really true. Really hard. That's... Yeah. Hi, I'm Ana Ortiz, and I am very happy that you're here. I was in Harlem at the Hope Center, mm -hmm. and I'm going to tell you a little story. The first lady called me to take a picture because I wasn't part of that group. Mm -hmm. That means inclusion, diversity and inclusion. It touched my heart. I've been a researcher for, wow, 25 years, and I work on the post-traumatic stress disorder with Vietnam back in 1987 with Research Triangle Institute. 
And I, I used to do door-to-door, alcoholism, drug abuse, mm -hmm. in the very, very vulnerable neighborhoods. I became a teacher, and I started my own business. I was doing very well. Well, but technology took over. Some people owe me a lot of money, so I'm, I'm going to be practically going to court. Um, my question, right now with the Latino community, I serve on the board for the UN, the American Association for Psychosocial Rehabilitation is part of the World Organization, NAMI, um, the Hispanic um, uh, Psychiatric Institute on Cultural Competence. They do a lot of research. And as a small business, I did 25 years of voluntary work. Mm -hmm. I would love to work on the qualitative research with Thrive New York City. I applaud what you're doing because as Jerry said, this is what to do. Right now, the veterans are coming home. A lot of the Latino families have a big stigma. And I would like the opportunity to work on that issues, on those issues. And I would like to host in Spanish, and I'm also very close to NAMI, Judy Carrington. She has a manual for the hospitals. And I am, I'm also a partner with um, um, SAMHSA and Health and Human Services. But being a partner, I need to make money also. <laughs> so I'm, I'm you know, soliciting some of the grants. But I, my question is, what is being done with the Latino community right now? Mm -hmm. You know, with the language, because people, if they don't speak the language, and, right. oh, I forgot the most important thing, crisis intervention. Excellent. I started in 2011. That's what we need, especially for single mothers. Yes. On a Saturday, on a Friday, mm -hmm. dual diagnosis. If you have a child that has a dual diagnosis and you have to call 911, I was with the commit, uh, police commissioner because I'm also part of a law enforcement board. And I said, we have to train our officers. It's not that they're, not all of them are bad. And, uh, you know, we have to work with the community and also don't call 911 crying hysterically because the police has got five cars are going to show up. Yeah. Okay, thank okay. you. So, so thank you very much for your question. Um, we are, I, I, I think I failed to mention that with our phone number, the one eight 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 nyc well that we, the trained counselors that we have speak uh, English, Spanish, Mandarin, and Cantonese. Um, also with mental health first aid, we do have trainings in Spanish. Uh, we want to make sure that we are reaching the Latino community. But we have a great need to uh, get deeper into the community than we already have because just because we have the service does not mean that people are calling and speaking in Spanish. They are, are actually are not in the numbers that we expected. Um, and that also goes for the Mandarin and Cantonese speaking community. So we need people like you, people who are in the community to actually um, be, be uh, the ambassadors, right? Um, because the most powerful form of, of advertising is word of mouth, especially when it comes from a trusted community member. So that is why we have engaged our clergy members to, to speak um, to the services that are available, to speak to that it's okay to call. It's not about, um, because you can call and, uh, and it's anonymous, it's confidential. So you don't have to worry about, uh, what is the expression, uh, airing your dirty laundry, right? Um, I know that's very popular, <laughs> a popular expression. Um, you can, so we, we have some tools uh, and 
also we are working in the schools when we have mental health consultants we have clinics we have some type of mental health support in all of our schools which is really the most important because we know if we act early then we can prevent a lot of this we can prevent or certainly intervene uh, earlier we also have maternal depression screenings uh, for at, at which cover roughly 80% of uh, women, new mothers and, and um, pregnant women uh, with our collaborative of, of hospitals, which is health and hospitals with Maimonides and our uh, hospitals, greater hospitals, uh, New York Greater Hospitals Association. So we have some penetration into the community. We, we need to do more. I would welcome your ideas uh, about how we do that. Uh, and I think that, but I do believe that part of it is getting individuals like you um, and like clergy to just do more, to reach out to barbershops, beauty salons, supermarkets, places like that. Uh, we have a Thrive Engagement team, but we need people who actually know the communities to, to be there with them. Great, we have um, a, a logistical issue that we have a hard stop at 7.15, so we have Time for a few more questions, yes. Hi, um, my name is Randy Anderson. I'm the clinical coordinator at the Lawyer Assistance Program here. Um, First Lady, thank you. Um, I just celebrated 25 years in recovery in January. Congratulations, yes. Amazed. Um, we, in response to your question, we work with lawyers, judges, uh, law students, anybody in the legal community on issues of substance abuse, mental health. We have monitoring programs, mentoring. We refer people out. And there is a culture that's very difficult, um, but it's changing, and it's changing a lot. And we're doing trainings. We've been doing trainings in law firms, um, and they've been beginning to welcome us in some of the big firms, smaller firms. We're there almost twice a month now, going from firm to firm. Well, if you don't mind my saying so, that I think that you could provide a, be a great resource for Thrive NYC. Absolutely, just to know lawyers have typically double-digit higher rates of substance abuse and mental health issues than the general public. Mm. And there are times when we go in to do a training and they come with the, the alcohol tray. So there is a lot of, retraining that's going on, but they're more and more receptive. And lawyers, we have lawyers who are homeless, we have lawyers who can't afford insurance, so they come to us with no access to services. Now we have services to help them as well. So I'm really pleased, and I would love to, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. Great, that, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much, so, I would uh, love to work with you. Uh, Bob? Um, I. Oh, I was about to hand over the uh, mic here, I'm sorry. but I'm sorry. I also want to take advantage of having the mic to introduce myself as, uh, in addition to carrying the mic around, I'm a deputy commissioner at the New York City Fire Department for diversity and inclusion, and I've taken the mental health uh, first aid training, and it is fantastic, and so I really suggest that everyone sign up and take it. Uh, and then also, I was wondering if there is, when you talked about the online resources, yes. whether or not there is a video or educational piece that can also be used for training. I believe there's a video component of in the mental health first aid course, but it's, you know, the mental health first aid course is eight hours, so it is, it is, there's no video that covers. Alana, Alana wants to add something. But there's no video that covers the entire course. And Alana, do you want to add to that? 
I would just encourage people to also visit the Thrive Learning Center that the First Lady mentioned. On the Learning Center, we actually have a selection of different infographics that are like short videos that speak to substance misuse, that speak to depression, anxiety. Um, and so that could be a clip that you could potentially show in front of a classroom. I also just um, want to piggyback off of the First Lady's previous comment around partnership. Um, when we talk about partnership, it's wonderful to hear so many of you that are already out in your community. We would be happy to send a member for our, from our engagement team to go do a presentation um, at one of your trainings or work sites. Um, and we can also share with you uh, brochures and literature for Mental Health First Aid and for NYC Well that you can then give to your clients. That's great. Uh, Bob? Hi. Sorry. <laughs> I hand it to you next. Um, my name is Bonnie Host. It's very nice to meet you. I want to thank you for your presentation. It was brilliant. And I'm so thankful that you've taken your platform and devoted um, it to this issue because our country and certainly the city have suffered it for a very long time. I think it's one of the most important issues facing the nation um, at this time. So thank you very much. Um, thank you. When I see good things happening, um, I like to pass them on, particularly to people who I think can really take them and run with them. Um, one thing I thought was very interesting, I think it was last year, was um, Heads Together devoted the London Marathon to mental health. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it would be an amazing hashtag, we hear you London, mm -hmm. to devote the New York Marathon to mental health. Mm -hmm. um, working with the New York City Roadrunners um, I don't know senior people there, but I'm sure that you could have contacts there. <laughs> um, so um, it's just an idea. I pass it on. I think in terms of hitting stigma hard, um, they did the metrics both before the, the London Marathon on the street and after. So they took a very scientific approach to it. Um, and they proved that they not only reduced stigma, but increased the percentage of both men and women talking about their mental health mm -hmm. um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So That's wonderful. I have to tell you that um, the mayor of London, uh, Mayor Sadiq Khan, has uh, launched a Thrive London program. Oh, <laughs> and he does, he does say, he does admit that it was inspired by what we are doing here in New York City. So. I, I think it's only fair that we steal his idea <laughs> and do the marathon. That's great. <laughs> Has Thrive focused on the effects on mental capacity that sometimes accompany aging? And if so, what are some of the problems and solutions unique to that? We have, um, we have done some work with our um, working with the Department of Aging. We have now have uh, counselors in our 25 largest senior centers. And we're, you know, getting information back from them to see how it's affected the environment, the climate inside the senior centers. Um, it's all been pretty positive so far. Uh, and we also have a friendly visiting program. It's a volunteer program, but, but pretty, um, pretty large. We have uh, people who go and visited those seniors who are isolated. Uh, but who also who are, you know, we feel are in need of more attention, conversation, um, assistance that would help their mental health. Uh, so 
we are we are going down that road and and we'll be soon evaluating how these programs have have gone to see you know if we should expand uh, maybe do some some different things uh, I'm not sure we'll see how you know, the evaluations turn out thank I think, you I think we have time for two short questions hi <laughs> She's got the um, mic. Comment. She's got the mic. She has the enthusiasm. She's got comment the mic. And question. <laughs> um, I am an intellectual property attorney who has developed PTSD after being stalked for almost 10 years by an older gentleman in my community who I have, I guess, now appreciate that perhaps he was mentally um, unwell and immigrant. And when I went to the police for help, they kind of, you know, you know poo-pooed it. And it just grew and snowballed. Um, and so now I am struggling to get back to life and, and that sort of a thing. Um, so the attorneys are not ready to deal with this. My colleagues don't want to talk about it. You know, you're, it, it's a stigma, particularly since they were complicit, right? Mm -hmm. I was, a, instead, of, instead of dealing with the person who had the issue, they arrested me and prosecuted me, created a criminal record. And once you go down that path, there's kind of no backing up. So there's some acknowledgement of their, their misbehavior there that they're not prepared to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, but just some resources, if you all go to Coursera, because there was no help, I had to dig myself out of this. You know, I was sitting there like a lump on a log for about three years, getting worse and worse and worse. But if you all go to Coursera, it also has some great resources, and I will send an email to your team. Um, and you know, they're, they're online courses that are free, and you do them at your own pace. And one of the things that I took was um, on trauma, you know, supporting communities in trauma and then mental health in a community to understand the issues, because I, didn't, I thought I knew, but I didn't know. And then I did a workbook called the PTSD Workbook to begin to break through the trauma and get myself well. So those are, there are resources out there, but you've got to be diligent. You have to have some self-awareness um, um, to do it. And I also wanted to bring to you all's attention that stalking is a gender violence issue. I, I have learned that single professional women are stalked quite frequently are stalked quite frequently. I was talking to a physician last week and she had a friend who was, was stalked. So this is a part of gender violence that we have to talk about. We talk about domestic violence, we talk about sexual assault, we talk about veterans returning, but stalking is a big issue for single professional women and it causes PTSD because you're hypervigilant. You're always unsafe and looking you know, around you to see what's going on and people are calling your house and breaking your car and all sorts of fun and interesting things. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I will, thank you. Hi, my name's Carrie. I, um, I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> although, I have, right. <laughs> although I have worked for two law schools. I'm not days. either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually wanted to continue a little bit on that theme and I had just a few other thoughts. Uh, how, how is the team kind of reaching out to victims of, me, of the Me Too movement? Um, considering the latest uh, incident in Parkland, Florida, and maybe you touched on this, but I don't remember, uh, how is the team reaching, you know, trying to reach students who may be dealing, and students specifically, not just children dealing with domestic violence and all that, but students in schools uh, dealing with bullying, et cetera. Um, and also, are you taking any kind of legislative uh, actions maybe? Um, to address mental illness on a legislative level. Um, and uh, my family basically is a survivor of, 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 uh, um, of mental illness, my, my entire family, quite frankly, um, because we grew up 
or rather, I grew up with a, with a younger sister who had bipolar schizophrenia, but she wasn't diagnosed until she was in her late teens and technically an adult. Mm. Um, so clearly she didn't get the proper treatment. Um, and she ultimately succumbed by uh, basically putting a bullet through her head. Mm. Um, so I was very angry because the gun was accessed from her partner who had inherited it from a deceased family member. So I, I also want to touch on how the, the transition of gun ownership and, and maybe like how that can be, you know, changed without violating people's Second Amendment rights. Okay, thank you. you first of all, I'm so, so sorry to hear about your sister. That, um, oh, it's a very painful story and I, I thank you for sharing it with us. I think it's, it's important for people to hear just how common all of these things are, how much there is in this, this room that we're sitting in right now. Um, it, it is a, a, a safe space, but still very difficult to talk about these things. Uh, I want you to know that we did do a town hall just recently to talk to young people about gun violence, and it was inspired by the Parkland um, incident. We wanted to know um, if young people found it anxiety producing, if this is something that they worry about. Do they worry about their own safety and uh, do the drills bother them? Uh, we, we got a lot of information. Um, I think that we got uh, more information than we, we bargained for, but I think it's going to be helpful to us as we uh, go forward, especially since we now have a new chancellor. I think uh, what stands out in my mind uh, from the, that conversation with this large group of young people, um, uh, roughly 100 of them, all high school students, was that most of them did not feel that they had um, enough adults outside of their family to talk to. Um, a teacher, a school safety officer, uh, you know, someone that they could talk to about, about their safety and about their emotional concerns. That, that that was something they, they, they wanted, more guidance counselors and, um, and certainly a, a better sense of, of who the people were who were supposed to be protecting them. They wanted to be able to sit down and have a dialogue with them. So we learned quite a bit by having a, uh, you know, a student town hall and, and talking with them. And I think we'll probably, we will be doing more to get a sense of, of how uh, they're thinking um, because that's the only way it can it's the only way we can move forward if we hear from them directly. As for le legislation, uh, it's, it's a tough one. Most of what we're doing is, uh, is paid for by the city, governed by the city, but of course we have to advocate, lobby for change on a, a state and federal level. When it comes to Washington, D.C. right now, they are not doing the kinds of things that, that we would like them to do. But that has not stopped us. Um, there are two things. Um, as, a, as an individual, as a representative of this administration, I have traveled to D.C. I, I believe six times already uh, to talk to individual uh, representatives and, and senators about uh, the various uh, pieces of legislation there that are being considered and about Thrive so that they know that there is a model out here that, that can be used, um, that you don't have to reinvent the wheel, that we are, what we are doing is, is, is helping people and um, it's not about starting from scratch, that this can be done. Uh, 
and we have this coalition of cities. Uh, 200 cities uh, are, are in this coalition, um, and it's bipartisan. These are Republican cities, or Republican mayors, I should say, and uh, Democratic mayors who are all working for a um, more integrated uh, healthcare system, a better funded mental health care system, and that's what we talk about. I mean, we have monthly calls, we uh, do have days of action in May, we'll go as a group, not all of us, but many of us will go to Washington, talk to representatives on the Hill uh, about what our needs are. I think that we were successful as a group of, of, of preventing the dismantling of the ACA, which is, was critical, as you know, because we, that's what has given us parity in terms of getting uh, mental health concerns treated, paid for. And I, I think that we were successful in helping um, you know, get CARA, and hopefully we'll have uh, more money moving our way, uh, especially as pertains to the opioid epidemic. Um, I am not sure exactly how it's gonna happen, but I know that, that something will happen um, depending on, on, who knows. <laughs> Every day in Washington, D.C. seems to be, um, there seem to be different forces um, that, that, that are moving everything. But I do believe something will happen because the need is so great and there's so much pressure on them to act. Money has been allocated, it just hasn't been passed, so. Ah, they do, they do, really do. Well, so. listen, uh, thank you so much for um, giving us so much to think about and giving us so much to do. Your, your work is inspiring and we really appreciate your coming here tonight. Thank you. Well, thank you all, thank you.